You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. And welcome in to another edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Jason Buttrell has lived an adventurous life that has taken him from growing up in Texas to the Middle East as a Marine just after 9-11 to being a bodyguard for A-list celebrities. And now he's in the role of chief researcher for Glenn Beck. Jason sat down and talked with us about his life, which included losing his father at the young age of 10 and how that only helped to strengthen the bond between he and his mom. The Blaze TV's own Jason Buttrell is my guest on this edition of At The Mic. The one and only Jason Buttrell. Now, I could pronounce it Buttrell, <laughs> but, that, but that's how Glenn Beck pronounces it, correct? Repeatedly. Let's get this straight. Oh my it's gosh. Buttrell, right? How is that hard? Glenn's got this thing where he literally cannot say a name at all. Right, I know. So like Joe Smith would be, this now I have on the broadcast a... Uh, Joe A. Smite. I know. <laughs> Come on. I know this because I used to book the guests and do the call screening stuff and call the guests to put them on the air with Glenn when, for his radio show. And I cannot tell you how many times, how many times, brother, that I would put phonetically on the screen for his benefit. <laughs> Joe. Smith, you know, <laughs> and just like you said, it turns into something unrecognizable. Glenn, just say Tom Hanks. To, right. to, to Omeya Honkinkiksa. And there's so many, there's so many guests that like, that he's had on that the audience, unless they've heard it somewhere else, just assume that's how you pronounce his name. And it happens over and over again. We love him to pieces, but my goodness. I mean, stop trying to make it more complicated than it is. But Dude. you're a co-worker. You're someone he sees every day. I know. I tell you what, the, growing up with the last name Buttrell, you know, you kind of got to learn to sling those uh, sling those dukes. I bet and, you did, yeah. And the, the, I, so I'm going to give Glenn a pass for saying Buttrell because even my kids, not my son, but my daughter, she, I just found this out, by the way, too, dude. Oh, no. She has gone by Boutrill as well oh, no. in school. I just found this out. It was a huge scandal, you know, in the family. I bet. But when they announced her name when she graduated, they were like, Alexa. And this was in this was in the new Ranger Stadium, by the way, which was oh. crazy cool. Oh, you've yeah. been in there. That was her graduation. Yeah. You're one of like five people who have been in the new stadium. That I know. It was supposed to open, obviously, in March. Which sucks. And I, we can talk about this maybe later. But I was kind of, I wasn't too impressed with the new stadium. Well, it looks it like cool. a barbecue grill from the outside or, or like a shed that would be in someone's backyard. And not much different on the inside. But see, I don't mind yeah. that as long as it's air conditioned. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you because you've been there before, right? The old one. The old one. Yes. You, you can't sit in left field. You. I mean, you cannot. Oh my gosh. You have to. You are begging. You are watching the sun go down. Yeah. Over your left shoulder there. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it ruins the experience, man. Especially for people like us that are uh, hair follically challenged, that's as right. I like to say. That's right. Um, <laughs> that, you know, that's when you know. That's when you first realize you're getting bald. Is when your head gets it's sunburned. Burn. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> you're you're like, what is? Right. What's this feeling on my head? It's like, oh my gosh, yeah, no. And I wear a hat most of the time, but boy, when I don't. <laughs> I know it. That's for sure. But yeah, I look forward to getting to that stadium if civilization ever returns uh, to the way it once was. Good luck. Yeah, I'm with you. So you were born in Antlers, Oklahoma. Tell us about that town with which Wikipedia uh, says it has 2,552 residents. Is that, that much? That, that's a high, high water mark? That's shocking to me. Yeah. <laughs> 
Antlers, Oklahoma, it's 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 actually kind of a cool place because it's one of those like I guess it's it's very similar to like a Norman Rockwell type uh-huh. you know picture. There's not a whole lot out there. There's like a gas station that's not even it. That's the gas station wasn't even a brand name gas station. Oh, it was just like you know, Smitty, you know, who it's been in his family Joey forever. Joey Smitty. Joey Joey Smitty. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> that was a uh, it, it was yeah it was like a it was family family owned uh-huh. and a couple of other things and a church mm. and that's why I was there because my dad uh, got assigned to that church. Oh and, okay okay because we're talking we're in uh, southeastern Oklahoma. Yeah correct? yeah yeah. So so t- tell us about your dad then he got assigned to a church what was his uh, background then? He was he was a, he was a preacher he mm-hmm. went to uh, Abilene Christian University not too far from Dallas and uh, that was I believe. That might have been his first assignment, oh, wow. but I wasn't even born yet. So he, we, family lived in Denton, Texas, mm-hmm. and my mother was in Abilene. My dad uh, relocated to Abilene to go to school there. Met my mom, and yeah, I, th- I believe that was his first assignment. So everyone's from Texas, and this is very contentious when people try to call me an Okie. And if you're listening right now and that uh, you know offends you, I don't give a crap. I am not an Okie. I'm a Texan. We only lived there for like a couple of years yeah. and we came back home. Okay. So I just want to make that clear right but, off the bat. But you were born there. But I was. And you got out of there when? Uh, like a couple years. Yeah, about age two? Yeah. Okay. Well, Something like that. I mean, it's, it's not bad <laughs> to have a, a, a home state in reserve. Yeah, well, just in I, case you ever need it. But I, I would go by Texan as well. Of course. and But I mean, but there are some cool things, though, about antlers. Like, for instance, the very first time I was taught that you can fish with dog food, uh-huh. that was in Antlers, yep. Oklahoma. Yep. Found that out. That's good. Uh, so I learned to fish there. I, I actually... I. So you went back there. You weren't learning how to fish it too. Multiple times, because yeah, we we <laughs> right, right. I, I think my the first very first gun I shot was in Antlers, Oklahoma, I believe. Okay. Um. So yeah. So it's that's your typical that you know that that upbringing really kind of I guess I'm still kind of a country boy to to this day, even though we live in a metropolitan area. Right. A lot of those roots are probably you know you you can't beat that lifestyle. You really can't. You know, it's all the people are down to earth. The people there are awesome. Mm-hmm. It was so small that I remember still from these for, to this day of a story where they didn't have a hospital in Antlers, so they had to drive I think over an hour over to Clayton, Oklahoma, and that's oh. actually where I was born. It was in wow. Clayton because they didn't have you know, Antlers, didn't have a hospital. Okay, yeah, but we had a church and we had a freaking gas station, and that's really all you need. Probably a grocery store, but yeah, you might need that. I don't remember seeing that. No liquor stores. <laughs> That's that, that is another essential. I'm just thinking. I'm of the sure they you need. <laughs> okay, so you grew up primarily in Abilene, Texas. Yeah. 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 So how how long were you there? It's in Abilene for a while. My dad, he kind of is almost like being a preacher's kid. You're. It's almost like being a military brat in mm-hmm. a sense because you'll start hopping from churches. But uh, he went there. We went out to Ira Ann, Texas, I believe, right after that, which is in West Texas, not too far from Midland, and uh, we're at a church there. Then moved back to Abilene, and we moved back to Abilene because my dad got a started getting really crazy sick, and no one could figure it out, especially not in these little small, you know, little podunk towns that he was getting assigned to. But he got he got real sick, and uh, we went to Abilene where there were some larger hospitals, and they found out that he had lupus. Oh no! Yeah, which was really rare. I think then, even then, because it's mostly I think mostly women get lupus. But he got a form of lupus, and it was devastating. It just started attacking, you know, his organs and making them shut down. Well, it literally, this went on for years. I'm just paraphrasing this, but it went on for years. They could not figure out what, figure was, out going what was going on. on. Okay. Yeah, because this was like this was early '80s, I believe, when this was happening. Mm-hmm. So everyone was like, "What the heck was going on?" 
But that kind of, my mom still had all her family in Abilene. We just stayed in Abilene from, oh gosh, I'm, I was young, young, probably, you know, six or something like that, all the way up into when I graduated from college. So, I mean, I hesitate to ask, but they eventually found out what was causing the ailment and... And what happened? They next? managed it for a while, okay. but it was not. Nah, he he didn't. That's what he eventually died of. I was young. I was. I think I was probably in fifth grade oh, when he wow. ended up dying from it. But how did that affect you? I can't imagine going through that. It was weird because, like I said, it it would affect it would attack different parts of his body. So he would have like seizures out of nowhere, and we didn't know what the heck was going on. So right. he would go off. I spent like an entire. I spent like six months living with a friend of the family. He was also a preacher that kind of took over for my dad out in Iran, Texas. I stayed with them for like six months and I knew something was going on. Yeah. Didn't It didn't really compute for me being that young. Yeah. Almost like I was just like You're spending the night at a friend's house uh, for so, a while. But you were about but, 10 years old or so when you lost your father? That's when he died, yeah. yeah and that's what I'm wondering uh, for you. How, how does that affect a 10-year-old boy to lose his father, man? I think it's probably different for everyone yeah. how they deal with it. I don't, for me, it was almost like kind of like mission-oriented if that doesn't sound too weird, but it was like, well, so I kind of like pushed it back. I think feelings a little bit. I understood that, wow, this sucks. And I loved my dad, but then I kind of felt like now it's my job. Mm. It's your job now, Mm. you know, take care of your mother, make sure you don't screw up, you know, and be a, be a burden and just make sure everything runs smoothly. Yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of odd thinking back on it, but that's kind of how I felt about it being a 10 year old kid. So I'm going to jump around a little bit here, yeah. but you know, you, you mentioned it was kind of mission oriented. Was your mindset along those lines, almost in a military fashion before your dad passed or did it just kick in at that point? Because you went on to serve in the Marines, right? Yeah. Okay. And which is strange. Cause I always thought that I guess my mindset now would have been, there's no way I could have been in the Marine Corps. Because now I, I kind of have this like politically rebellious attitude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, but so then I cannot imagine myself now saying, yeah, I'm going to go in and just have people give me orders all day. But no, I think so. I, I think that probably, and I never even really thought about it until now, but probably that, you know, that mindset of, okay, mom, and we would have these, you know, conversations. We can do this so you can get this job. I need to do this so that I'm at home and, you know, I can be that latchkey kid, which I'm perfectly fine with. Right. Um, but my mother never really gave me that sense that she was never around. She was always around. But it was very much, she's doing this, I'm doing this, I'm not going to make things harder. Um, we're both kind of a team. My mom and me were a team, mm-hmm. you know, going forward uh, until she got remarried and and, you know, it was great. Yeah, it was okay. a good success story. So you have a brother. Yep. Is that from the second marriage then? Yes. Or, okay. All right. So how much younger is he than you? Because, you know, I ask these questions. I talk about it on the time when I'm doing these interviews. I send an email out, and I'm surprised that you had a brother that's still in college. Uh, there must be a big age difference there, dude, obviously. Yeah, we're 20 years apart. Wow. 20 years apart. Wow. Which it sucked because, like, I don't, I don't know about you, um, but like, I always wanted like a brother growing oh, up. Absolutely, I did. And I was an only child. Uh, oh, you were, and I, I wanted a brother uh, yes. to to beat up basically. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what I need. Yeah, yeah, to impose my will. Right, and then <laughs> right, I need somebody to go fetch me stuff, man. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to impose, but but I, you also want to have someone to just go pal around with. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, but I never got that. So, but I always wanted it. But I was a freshman in college when my mom told me that she was going to have a baby, and I was like, what? Say what? Straight up. It was the weirdest Man. thing. 
Okay. Are you guys close at all? You and your other, you and your brother? Yeah. I mean, I mean you can lie. No. I mean, if you think he's going to hear the podcast. I, I won't actually. Cause it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's cause I can't imagine that. So we're close to a point. Like I deeply care for him. I think he deeply cares for me, but there is this detachment sure. because, you I mean, know, how old are you? I'm 42. 42. And how old is he? 23. Okay. I know. Yeah, it's 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 really weird. It, it's been hard to keep up, but like like I said, he he was born when I was in college. Right. And then and I'm off doing that and, and then then you're, then you're off on your own and he's in diapers. I was literally <laughs> deployed overseas yeah. while he's you know living out like the most memorable parts of his life trying to figure out how to speak (laughs) right (laughs) right um but the kids like it's amazing to me because he's like he's like genius Hmm. level intelligence and i'm being straight up he was a valedictorian of his high school um goes to university of texas uh you know things that like physics and biology are just easy to him Things that would not be i wouldn't even i can't even read a physics or biology book for crying out loud (laughs) i'm like huh you know, things are easy for him. So I don't see how we have similar genetic makeup. It just does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the kid's a rock star. All right, and he's at the University of Texas. Yeah. You went to uh, Abilene Christian University. Yeah. What did you major in? <laughs> but and, 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 and on the timeline, this... did you go to college, then join the military? Yeah. Okay. So I had a weird path through college. I, so I was extremely restless in, in high school. Did not know what I wanted to do, and I was on the verge of after uh, after high school just doing something insane. Like I had that <laughs> feeling, you know, of like I have to do something insane, uh-huh. and it's so insane I have to get away from people so other people don't get hurt. <laughs> what I wanted to do and what I thought I might do was I have no idea. Yeah. So I was like, I was literally going around. I was like, well, maybe I should just uh, see if I can get up a bunch of money and just travel for a couple years. Yeah. And I mean, I wanted to go to the Middle East. I wanted to go to uh, the for- <laughs> I wanted to go to. Congrats, like- <laughs> you got that wish. <laughs> right, right. Um, this was when the Balkan Wars were going on. So uh-huh. I, I seriously considered just going with a camera. And taking pictures of the oh, Balkan cool. War, yeah. uh, all these things are going through my mind. This was right after the Soviet Union collapsed, pretty mm-hmm. much. So uh, I wanted to go and see what that did in the Eastern Bloc areas. Mm-hmm. This is this, this. I don't think a normal like you know senior in high school is thinking of doing these things, but this is what I was thinking. Right. Eventually, my mother talked me down, and uh, and I went to school right there in Abilene, where my dad's or pops went to school. So I was like, screw it, I'm going to go to ACU and just figure it out. I wanted to be in the CIA, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That, and, <laughs> that's what when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah you said that. Uh, yeah, you wanted to be a CIA agent. Yeah. And how? And and it says you know you pursued that in college. Put me in that mindset. How do you go to college <laughs> and then pursue a CIA career? You sound like my college counselor because he looked at it with the same like, "What the heck are you thinking, dude?" But no, he was actually really good. So he he put me on the path. He contacted CIA, oh. a recruiter. And was like, hey, what do you need to major in? So this is like semester one. Right. He's like, so he semester one, the uh, CIA agent, I guess what they're looking for at the time, what they can, you know, the quotas they have uh-huh. was like, tell him to major in accounting. Okay. And I was like, gross. Yeah, I'm no like, kidding. That sucks. I would have been like, I no longer want to be in the CIA. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, but you think uh, mission oriented, you know, that's kind of how I was thinking. So I was like, screw it. All right. I'll take one for the team. Hmm. I'll major in accounting. It was awful. I bet. Absolutely awful. So then... Uh, that was, uh, I'm a restless high school kid. I'm going to go to college and figure it out. 
by taking Accounting. courses in math <laughs> and numbers and oh, no thank you and i suck at this right mm-hmm. i cannot do my 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 son's junior high school math i cannot do with him uh, brother i'm right there with you oh what are they teaching them nowadays I, by the way? I, I don't know because i walk out of the room it's too stressful to even hear this stuff it's, it's like a, yeah it's not how we did it he he shows me and i'll like i'll do it out real quick like a long division thing uh-huh. i'm like here that's your work you know like mimic that and he's like dad that's not how we do it yeah like what do you mean it's math yeah I mean, it's like, it's, you can only do it one way. I don't get it. I don't even get that far. <laughs> okay? I just know that how I did it in high school was wrong. Okay? So I don't know how he's doing it now. It doesn't It doesn't matter how he's doing it. It's not going to make sense to me one way or the other. Yeah. So that was semester one, semester two. That got me into my sophomore year. And then the uh, my counselor calls me back and goes, hey, man, I heard from... You know, our unnamed friend over Don, in the agency. Don, what, right. Charlie? Yeah, yeah, Charlie. We are from Charlie, <laughs> which sounded crazy cool at the time. I was right. like, all right, yeah, I yeah. got you. And he's like, yeah, you, 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 you're probably not going to get there with just the accounting degree. He's telling me you're also going to have to minor in the Russian language. When do you get to talk to this guy? <laughs> I know. Wait, you got a handler here. <laughs> I know. It's kind of cool, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, it's all going on with it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I basically already thought I was in the CIA, yeah. you know, but I'm just like some dumb kid in college. So I'm like, all right, whatever, mission-oriented, let's do it. Wow. So I so I picked up a major in Russian. Oh wow. That was actually kind of cool. Okay. I they, so they, at they, it. they have a Russian major at Abilene Christian University? Yeah, you think they have a lot of languages actually that you can minor in and I think it's because you know it's you know it's it's a Christian school so uh-huh. they're they're preparing missionaries right. and, and all that. Okay. So how did that go? Did you pick up the language? No. no. I can't. Oh, I strike suck two. at languages. Yeah. I strike but two. I was, but I was gutting it out and you know what the the professor actually made it really cool because he and again you think the, the Soviet Union has not fallen too much too long ago. Uh-huh. So he was actually a Soviet officer. Who was educated at some uh, Soviet school in Ukraine, I believe, in Kiev. He went through a language school to learn uh, English. And he was deployed in the Russian Navy, or I'm sorry, the Soviet Navy. And he told us one story one time. Uh, he was like, he goes, I knew that the Soviet Union was going to fall. When uh, he said that they were I think, out in the Atlantic on, a, on, a, on one of their ships. And he said all the power went down. They, they were in the, uh, their mess hall. And they were they were eating, but all the power went down, so they couldn't see the TVs that were in there. Ooh. And when the power went back up, something scrambled with their scramblers. Something you know messed with it, uh-huh. and a broadcast of CNN, he said, popped up just on on the screens. Oh wow! And he said that specific uh, broadcast showed. Um, uh, like exercise, like U.S. Navy exercises, and they saw Tomahawk cruise missiles going off, and they saw like oh. F-14s landing oh, on the no. flight deck. Yeah, and they saw all these things, and he said it went just dead silent in the mess hall. Oh wow! And he was like, he was like, everyone didn't say a word. We just looked at it. We didn't even look at each other. But he goes, everyone was thinking the same thing I lo- was thinking. We're so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, it was so crazy. It was the coolest story. That is cool. And yeah, but uh, it was a, he was a really cool he was a really cool professor. I used to ask him, I was like, hey man, did you guys uh, have like cool uh, like movies like Rambo? Only it was like a you know Ivan, you know that was <laughs> sneaking behind enemy lines to tear up the U.S. military. And it's like, oh yeah, we had the same stuff. Production value wasn't as good, but we had the same stuff. Mm, okay. It was crazy. All right. So when did you finish up with college then? So. So uh, it was at 99 mm-hmm. and, uh, and again, our, there are Charlie got back with us and said, you know what, if you're, you're not, if you're not, accept- he was, he was trying to do this very, very lightly, but it was incredibly insulting. So he goes, if you're not exceptional, 
you know, at some of this number stuff, or if you're not exceptional, you know, in the language stuff, the competition right now is just way too high. Oh, well. So he goes, but I've got a solution for you. The solution was that I could basically be the exact same thing I wanted to do in the CIA. He goes, there's two military units. And, and you're, you're nowhere near graduating at this point, correct? I'm, I'm, I'm very, very close. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Um, very, very close. So, th- so this is shattering to me because I'm already making plans to take their test and all this stuff. Oh, no. But he goes, there's two uh, military units. One is in the Army. It's counterintelligence in the Army. And there's the only other service that offers it is a counterintelligence in the Marine Corps. He goes, you can do either one of those two, basically do the same thing. Don't have to mess with all of our, you know, our, our uh, schools and programs that will take you at least two years to get through. Mm-hmm. You can basically jump right into it in one of those units. It's like, okay, mom's not going to be ma- uh, too pleased with this, <laughs> but, you know, I'll, it uh, looks like I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. So that was the plan. There you go. <laughs> and, and so... How did she take that news that, uh, yeah. In short, <laughs> badly. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, not well. Okay. At all. Mom was not pleased, but she did drive me down to when the bus took off to go to, you know, boot camp mm-hmm. that, that fateful day. Yeah. So okay. she was supportive. <laughs> uh-huh. So take us through your military career then as far as how it wound its way it was odd straight from the beginning because uh, you know when you go when you go to you know to enlist you go down to the recruiting station they get all they do all your stuff they make sure that you go down to the enlistment processing center which is actually here in DFW oh wow and um, so I came here and they do all the, the medical battery they do all that stuff they have you take all the written tests see if you have the aptitude for everything but then once when I was getting re- oh they got they got me my job signed you know signed the line on for that they guaranteed me this what I was looking for this mm-hmm. intelligence job, but then as I'm sitting there waiting to do the final swear in and put your hand up, uh, an officer comes and pulls me out of the group. And he's like this lieutenant, and this lieutenant pulls me out and he takes me into the commanding general's uh, office of the entire enlistment program there and i'm like what is going on how am i already in trouble like what the heck did i do <laughs> and um we kind of we we were a little uh, this was like day two of the of the process and we stayed in a hotel and we were kind of rambunctious the night before and i was oh. like dang did i do something oh, stupid did that I night break some crap we dr- <laughs> how much did i drink that screw up the test the, some of the drug tests next day i don't know uh-huh. um but uh so yeah he brings me into the general's office and i'm like what the heck and I'm like, what, like 21 or whatever? So I'm young and I'm like not knowing what's going on. And the general is like, why the hell Buttrell? And he's actually said my name right. Wow. I had to make you feel good. Buttrell. Why are you so stupid? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, what's going on here? I thought I like screwed up a test or something. I'm like, are you making an example of the idiot? I was like, I didn't, that test seemed kind of easy. I was like, I don't know. And he's like, why are you enlisting in the Marine Corps? And I was like, you know, it's not like, I'm like, oh, you know, patriotic duty. Yada. He goes, no, 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 He's like, why are you going enlisted? Why aren't you going through officer candidate school? Oh, that's a compliment. Huh? He's like, why you shouldn't be here? You know, you've gone to college. You've done all this stuff. You should be going to OCS, officer candidate school. And I was like, well, you know, I was told, unless I was lied to by my recruiter, that this job is only an enlisted job. So if I went officer, I could not get this same job. And he just looked at me. He was like, well, that's technically correct. You might eventually get to like a kind of like a supervisory position over that enlisted unit, you know, and mm-hmm. so yeah. that could be a path. And I was like, was well, that guaranteed? He's like, well, no, because there's not actually a job. You'll make a long story short. 
I ended up having to sign a specific waiver saying that I was waiving officer candidate school to go in as a lowly E1 private to pursue this intelligence job. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's know. fun. Signed a waiver. Hardly. Uh, who has taken that path? Right? <laughs> Not too many, I don't oh, think. It's pretty that's funny. That's cool, man. This is late 90s still? What is right? it? Yeah, so that's that's 99. And yeah, kind of just started off the entire thing. Went through uh, basic training, you know, boot camp out in San Diego, California. That was an eye opener. But I think going through as already having been through college and being older, gone through uh, okay. fraternity hazing, stuff like that. Um Pretty much prepared. It was not as hard for me because I was an adult. There were kids. There were 17, 18 year old kids in boot camp that their eyes were like saucers. They were freaked out. Yeah. For us, like if someone's yelling at you, Keith, and saying some of these crazy things, yeah. you're not really scared. You're trying to keep from laughing. <laughs> a lot of the time, you know what I'm saying? Like, like <laughs> you see, wait a minute, that sounds like a, a typical off-air conversation between me, Pat, and Jeffrey. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've heard. I've been in on some of those. Exactly. <laughs> you, you like if you if you listen to Full Metal Jacket now and uh, you want to, <laughs> yeah, he's like it's, it's a good point. He's freaky, but the things he's saying is actually hilarious. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's kind of how I saw it. Okay. You know. So it wasn't that it wasn't that hard for me. And uh, went through that. Went through uh, the combat training after that. And then went to intelligence school out in Virginia, and that was super cool. Our we were stationed out at a Damnick uh, military facility, which is where all Naval Marine Corps intelligence uh-huh. operations happen. Yep. It's also where SEAL Team uh, is it SEAL Team Six is stationed out in Damnick as well. Okay, so um, we got to see them, hang out with them a lot. That was a surreal experience. That, that was very cool in my life because it seemed like for once I was doing what I had started. You know, back in 1996, when mm-hmm. I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna be a CIA agent." Now you're actually learning about it, talking to the people that do it every single day, and you're actually in it. Like, still, Team Six is training right, right next to us. That's you cool. know what I mean. Yeah. I, I'm not not to say that I'm doing the same training they are. They're doing something completely sure. different. I'm doing the nerd stuff. They're doing like the hardcore stuff. Yeah, yeah. But that was super dope. So, 9/11 happens. Yeah, yikes. Where are you when in, in your military career, geographically, and so on at that moment in time? I had just gotten married a few, a couple months before that, before 9 11. Okay. So, like, I was getting deployed. I'm already in the Marine Corps. I'm out in the fleet force, which means you're assigned to a unit, you're doing your job. And basically, like, every 12, is it 12 to 18 months, a, mil, a Marine unit is put out on ships. <clears throat> which we called Marines, uh, uh, Muse, Marine Expeditionary Units. Uh-huh. And basically, they just like throw you out in cer- certain parts of the uh, the world in case something goes down. That way, you're ready to react to it, you know, in a moment's notice. So I was, I was, I was like, I was probably like a couple months before, or a month before that deployment, and I already knew this girl was going to be my wife. <laughs> and I was like, we're talking of Estella. Estella, right? okay. Yeah. I already knew she was gonna be my wife. Uh, we were just, I, it was either get married before or get married after. And I was going to sign all the waivers before you go out on a deployment, which is basically like your last will in case you get killed and all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be stupid if you don't get everything <laughs> or you're not taken care of if I get killed while I'm out there. So I was like, you know, we'll get paid more money and stuff and we're going to do it anyway, you know, and stuff. And so like, you want to like get married? <laughs> that was <laughs> that was my romantic proposal. I was going to say, that sounds like... Uh like if Beavis and Butthead yeah, are getting yeah. engaged, hey, so hey, you want to like get, uh, 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 get married and stuff? And stuff. Uh. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Exactly what it was. The romance was thick in the room. Clearly, you know? clearly. Um, but she was uh, obviously willing to overlook my faults there and decided to get married. So we're so we were married, 
and we're out uh, i'm out in uh in australia it was like a really quick uh training thing with the uh, with the australian royal marines hmm. and we had finished our training for the day it's that that's actually it was actually september 11th and we're in a bar like a sports bar hanging out and it was it was it was night yeah it was it, it was late at night at that point over there and so we're drinking having some hot wings and watching tv in the sports bar and we actually saw the, the the planes hit the towers. I can remember very vividly seeing it hit the towers on the TVs. But none of us thought that was real. We thought it was like some bad Australian movie or something. It was the sound and, down or something like that? Yeah, there was no sound. Wow. No sound. It was just, you could think, think of it as a rowdy bar yeah. with a bunch of Marines yeah. and Navy in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we didn't think it was real. And mm-hmm. I, I, looked, I remember looking up at it and then turning back and then we were just talking, going out, whatever we were talking about. And then probably an hour later, there we heard a bunch of whistles and a bunch of commotion outside. This is in Darwin, Australia. And for anyone that's been to Darwin, probably not many have, but it's not a large happening town. There's not much there. Very small kind of country-style town in Australia. And um, we saw, heard a bunch of commotion going outside. So uh, we looked at the windows, and it's a bunch of a fleet of white vans pulling up on the street where a bunch of us were hanging out. And uh, they were blow- it was the shore patrol blowing whistles, herding us all into these uh, vans and speeding off going back towards the boats. Wow. And we were like, what is go-? I personally thought it was probably like a weather concern or something. We were trying mm-hmm. to get out ahead of the weather. I didn't know. And so we asked the guy, and, and uh, one of, like the sergeant that was the sergeant of the guard driving us, and he said, uh, he goes, well, I can't say too much, but we're under attack. And we're like, what? I'm like, dude. How inebriated are you at this point, by the way? Pretty pretty far, yeah, yeah, pretty far. You gotta think like this was the last night before we're back on the on the oh, boats for another right. couple months. Okay, so there, yeah, but sobering up happened pretty much immediately. I bet it did. And uh, so he, he even said he didn't know too much. Well, we got back to the boats, and they were already getting making preparations to get back underway to get away from the shore because when we're under attack, they had the boats have to go far, you know a certain miles out into the ocean to get away from the shore. And as this was going on, I run up to the um, the skiff the sensitive compartmentalized uh, information facility, which is where all the classified information goes into. I go into there and I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I got a very quick brief about what had happened. Um, We pretty much already knew who the perpetrator was. Um, We knew Al-Qaeda was involved pretty much from the get-go. Right? Did you realize that the scenes that you had seen inside the bar on the TV, oh, that was real. Started hitting home there. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and... So I stayed there trying to gather as much information as I could, and then we all got called out out onto the flight deck. Now I was I was stationed on if you you know what an aircraft carrier looks like, I was stationed on a helicopter carrier. So it's basically looks like an aircraft carrier, but like three quarters of the size. Okay, basically. And uh, so we all go out on the big flight deck. All got into formation. The captain, the navy captain, said some things. It was very unmemorable, but the marine colonel in charge of the, of us. He went right after him, and I, I will never forget that to this day. And he said, and he was kind of emotional, fired up, but also kind of sorrowful. It's kind of a weird thing to describe. But he said, men, the day of infamy for, our, for my father and your grandfather's was December 7th, 1941. And he said, that was their day of infamy. That was their time. That was their call to action. He said... The world will come to remember that this generation, every single one of you in formation right now, this is your day of infamy. September 11th, 2001, that's your day of infamy. And he was like, prepare because we're going to war. Wow. 
I, I don't know if he practiced that or if it was off the cuff or what, but it was amazing. He followed it up with, get ready, men, we're going to war. Mm. And we all just kind of freaked at that moment. You know, everybody was yelling. Everyone was, we're pissed off, yeah. right? We're pissed off. Yeah. And we knew that we were the first ones to, we thought we were the first ones to go respond. We sailed pretty much immediately straight to the coast of Pakistan at that point. Yeah, because I was looking up uh, Darwin, Australia. So you're in the you're you're northern Australia. Yeah. So you're a beeline for Pakistan. I see. Yeah. You okay. can see uh, you can see um uh, East Timor is pretty much right to the north mm-hmm. of, of Darwin, right there in Australia. Yeah. Um, we had a quick thing to do there that we were already obligated. Some kind of I can't remember it was some kind of peace peace thing in East Timor or humanitarian operation. I think that's what it was. Um, so it's like a really quick stop there, but then it was straight up yeah. uh, to the Indian Ocean. So how soon after 9-11 did you find yourself in Pakistani waters? Within a few weeks. Mm-hmm. We were just sitting off the coast. Then shock and awe, not shock and awe, but the the, the uh, bombing uh, campaign against the Taliban started. I was actually, I got word that that was about to happen. We went out to the flight deck in the middle of the night and saw the tomahawk streaking across the, the skies and saw the air, aircraft taken off towards Afghanistan. That was super cool. Wow. We were deployed into Pakistan at an air base, I think by November. Okay. I believe. Is that right? It's either late October. It might have been late October. Um, we were deployed to that base, and we were basically just sitting there waiting for the go-ahead to invade Afghanistan, mm-hmm. which happened shortly after that. So we were at, in Pakistan for maybe three weeks, something like that, to a month, and then straight to Afghanistan. Mm. Wow. It- what was that like? I mean, wh- how long were you over there? Uh, what are some stories that you can share from that time? Because, I mean, that general, uh, the guy who gave you the... Colonel. The, so that colonel who gave you that great speech there, uh, he was obviously right. I mean, yeah. this was your day of infamy. Yeah. How did that play out for you in practice as you headed to the Middle East? Um, it, it was such it was such a blur because as we're dry, as we're heading out there we we were it was nonstop work getting very little sleep but we were on the ship just collecting information trying to figure out you know working up the plan even before we were doing up the the plans to invade Afghanistan we were first trying to figure out what we do with the embassies in the Middle East if they started getting you know ransacked mm. you know if everyone else kind of snowballed and jumped on this right. anti-American thing so we were working up evacuation operations for uh, uh, U- uh, U.S. embassies in Pakistan. Uh, Northern Africa, all over the place in the Middle East. That took a whole lot of time. Um, then it was, you know, looking at some of these groups in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, when we de- inserted into Pakistan, that was a whole nother, you know, pucker factor because a lot of the militants that were fighting in Afghanistan came from Pakistan. Mm. Um, there were also Iranian uh, IRGC uh, agents that were lurking around and, 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 and enabling some of this. We actually had a, this is in the news lately, but that Russia might have paid you know, the yeah. Taliban for bounties. Iran was doing that while we were there. Uh, U.S. soldiers had, like a, I think, a $100,000 bounty on their heads. I think it was like 25000 just for a uniform, for crying out loud. I mean, I had like four or five uniforms. I would have given them four or five uniforms if it was twenty-five k <laughs> a pop. Um, yeah, you don't know who to trust, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, seriously, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine just being in the military. And then you're put in a position like that. How old are you? 23? What am I there? I'm like 24-ish, I think, yeah, at the time. Okay. Well, you think about that. Before that, there was nothing that had been happening. Right. So right. it was general. It was peacetime. Mm-hmm. People like me were, I mean, well, there were people like me that were doing that to kind of try and further a career goal. Mm-hmm. 
And there were most of the people that, you know, had probably just gotten out of college or were looking to go to college. They, there were so many programs just to get people paid through college. You know, there like so many. Uh, there were so many enlistment bonuses when you went in. They literally would pay for like ninety percent of your college. Wow. It was insane. Then the GI Bill. That's mostly what people were there to do. Right now we're going to war. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pretty insane. How long were you over there? So we were there. I want to say for like six months, I believe, and then that was like the end of our tour, mm-hmm. and then we rotated out. We we first uh, when we went from Pakistan into Afghanistan, it was in the middle of the night. We took a. Uh, we took a, an airfield that had like some structures that we could stay in and kind of base our operations out of. And that airfield was first described to us as an Arab hunting lodge, I believe. But when we looked into it, it was actually a opium processing facility. Oh boy. Yeah, it's an opium processing facility. They had an airfield there because they would fly the opium out. And Afghanistan is where some of the best opium in the world comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, w- when we would do stuff with the uh, Afghan Northern Alliance, some of the people we were partnering with at the time. Yeah, why, why didn't we uh, eradicate those fields when we got over there? Yeah, well, we, we, knock, we did actually do some uh, operations. We knocked out some of, their, uh, some of the people that were involved in that drug trade. A lot of people don't understand. A lot of people didn't hear about a lot of that, but that that was a lot of the stuff that we actually did do. Okay. As far as the fields are concerned, I have no idea what ended up happening to that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how many of these jihadists were funding their operations. You know, right. It's the irony of it is they're dead set against that, but they were. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. but they're the ones that are selling it. Yep. So it was crazy. The Iranians were involved. They were making money off of it. Tons of people. I really hope that I don't get a DOD phone call after this podcast. Oh. Uh, I, I might end up. Oh. I might end up happening. Oh, give but, me a little publicity. Hope, hopefully, okay. this has all been disclosed yeah. at some point later. Um, not, not my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you were over there for six months. About that. Yeah. Okay. Rotate out. So then you come back to what? Well, we we rotated out of there, and then we went to a base in Kuwait, and that was that was interesting because we were the first combat group. Uh, to be able to see co- actual combat like that, like conventional force, not like special forces, but a conventional force that saw combat, to get out of the combat zone and go to like a like an a, a big established base. Mm-hmm. So the people were looking at us kind of like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? And of course we were just eating that up. You right. Know, like, we so they were, we were happy you returned after the Gulf War, yeah. man, huh? <laughs> like, hey, thanks for coming back. Where <laughs> right, you right, been? Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, we smelled like total crap. We hadn't had a single shower the entire time. <laughs> There was no infrastructure out there, so we were literally the first one. So we were taking showers with our canteens, for crying out loud. Wow. That's how we lived for about six months. And uh, so we showed up. We, we, t- we looked like absolute crap. We hadn't eaten anything but MREs the entire time. And we landed, and there's, I remember there was, a, there was an army guy showing us to where we were going to be sleeping. And he goes, yeah, so, you know, the mess hall's this way, you know, and there's like a... You know, there's a, an exchange over there if you guys need to go buy some smokes or something. And, yeah, there's a Carl's Jr. Whoa! Whoa, whoa, what? What did you say? He goes, yeah, you know, if you want to buy some smokes. And, no, 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 no. It was the very last thing you said. He goes, Carl's Jr.? And, like, literally, it was like, you seen those scenes in the movies where the cowboy gets trampled by the stampede? Yeah. That's what it looked like. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Does I, it taste the same over there? It, I... No, because... <laughs> the disappointment or... or no. Oh, okay. I don't get... It could have tasted like a rat burger for all I know. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was That's awesome. Pretty insane. But yeah, we, we did that and then we, it was kind of cool on our... When we were cycling out, the uh, captain of the ship pretty much canceled everything else we had on the schedule as far as training. Mm. And we just went on a big vacation tour of Australia. 
Oh, cool. So we went straight back to Australia, went to Perth, we went to Sydney, we went to, can't remember the other one, but yeah, it was just going to beaches, hanging out, a bunch of shore leave, then we sailed home. That's cool. cool. That's very cool. So was that um, the last you had to see of the Middle East or were there other tours or... In the military? Yeah. Not in the military. Okay. I would go back to the Middle East, as, you, as I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to get to that story. And later jobs. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so do you end up coming stateside after that, or how's that work out? Came stateside, and it, what was insane is, so I was getting close to get to ending my service, and I was expecting to, to re-enlist, to continue, because this is what my job was. This is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was just going to stay, but... And this is where you give crazy props to the military families that are full-timers. They can handle it. I did not think that me and my wife could. Mm. It was so difficult being apart. I I literally don't know. You talk about like, you know, like people like Chris Kyle, you know, that would just do, you know, they talked about, he and his wife, Taya, talked about how hard it was in the family, but they just gutted it out and kept going. Uh, I don't know how they do that. Mm. I really do not. Those guys are a cut above normal men. Because they have the strength, they have the fortitude, and they have not only that, but you know the, the sense of duty to continue mm-hmm. to do that job. Yeah. I think I had the sense of duty, but I just did not think that I could be away from my wife. And we, right then, it's, you know, it's interesting how this happened, Keith, because I got home after you know, over six months out at sea and at war, and it's very weird. My first child was born exactly nine months after that day that I landed back in the United States. Isn't that strange? Huh. Yeah, I just don't, I don't, it's very odd, you know, who would have thought? Wow. You know, but yeah, nine You don't need an later. accounting degree to understand what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so you and your wife, Estella, you have two children, and they're now 18 and 14, right? Yeah. And is it, Crazy. is it boy, girl, girl, boy, how, how, how is it? Girl, she was the, she was my first. Okay. And then, yeah, she just, like I said earlier, she just graduated high school, which is insane. Is having teenagers um, more difficult than going to face the Taliban or pretty similar, kind of on the same uh, page there? I'd rather go get captured and tortured by the Taliban yeah. every single day than to go through the teenage years of a girl. Uh-huh. That's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, by far. <laughs> and still going through it, by the way. So, love it. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. But Taliban, right. torture, definitely easier. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a 17-year-old girl and a 12-year-old girl. And Yikes. my son, God bless him, is right in between at 14. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. No, no, they're, they're great. They, they really are. I, I'm, I'm blessed, for sure. Okay, so... You came back to the States. Where were you living then when you came back, uh, back here in Texas? We were in, we were in uh, so I was stationed out in Camp Pendleton. So we, I got, ended up getting out of the military because of family. And uh, we, we, my wife is from Los Angeles, so we just stayed in Los Angeles. Hard part is, what do you, where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what did you end up doing? This is a big issue that most military people have when they yeah. get out. Because this is the thing. I, I had education. Uh, so I had that to fall back on. So I, there's a numerous things that I probably could have done, but this is the thing. And you see that, what's that movie with Jeremy Renner, uh, uh, where he's like an EOD tech. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get out much. Uh, I don't watch a lot of movies. Crap, what is the name of that? Let's see. Anyway, he's like an EOD tech and it shows how he's in Afghanistan disarming bombs Swat. and, uh, the Hurt Locker. Hurt, Hurt Locker. Locker. Oh yeah. Hurt Locker. Yeah. Hurt okay. Locker. Yeah. So um, that's very, very accurate, actually, because you, you're involved with dealing with very important things. You're right in the middle of the action, and you get used to a tempo that goes down when you're right in the middle of the action like mm-hmm. that. 
So you, when you get back and you're out of that environment, you there's nothing you can do that's going to satisfy you. Right. You can't just say, I'm going to go be an accountant. You know, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be an accountant. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Um, I even had a minor in English. I was like, mm. maybe I should go try to be an English teacher. There's no way I'm going to be an English teacher for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, I, I, I tossed around maybe writing a memoir of everything that happened. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, your wife is pregnant. You have to have money coming in. Yeah. You're, you're not in the military anymore. So I took a job, believe it or not, as a uh, executive protection bodyguard for celebrities and politicians. While wow, you're in Angeles. LA there, that's a good place to, <laughs> yes. to be based yeah, yeah, yeah. for celebrity protection. How did that work out? It was, it was, it was very long and tedious because you yeah. think about it, your, your schedule is not your own. So you're always you know, at the whims of whatever your client's schedule is. Yeah. So if they take a vacation, doesn't necessarily mean you get a vacation because you still have to be with them and take them on that vacation. So it's very, very difficult. And it also includes late nights, you know, being with somebody could be some starlet, you know, while she's partying at 3 (laughs) a.m. It's it's a very, very hard life. So are you allowed to discuss clients clients that you've that you've been assigned to? I I can't discuss clients, but you can because I'm still held to an NDA. But I will say what do you think is the bigger breach here? If you were to tell us the names of celebrities you've been assigned to or where you were stationed specifically overseas with the military. It's kind of close, actually. <laughs> it's, well, I guess you, I can be sent to prison for the military stuff and fined. For the NDA I'm under for this other company, I can be fined a crap ton of money. Uh-huh, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's wow. I mean, it's bad. Okay, so what were you about to tell us there that you could tell us? Basically, every A-list TV and movie star, I've either been around or personally protected. Wow. Um, and I, I have been involved in some political candidates as well. Mm. So I got that side of it too. And, 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 and several, you know, like fortune 500 CEOs that okay. are, are fairly, that are very, very public. I've been around a lot of them as well. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting perspective when, when you're right there in the middle of Hollywood and you see like the dirty secrets of all of them. Um, some of them don't have any, a whole lot of them do. <laughs> you start seeing things like the Me Too and the Weinstein things coming out now where people are finally realizing that most of these people, probably 95% of them, are horrible human beings. Yeah. I will get, I will confirm that the vast majority of them are horrible human beings. <laughs> and I saw it all firsthand. I bet. There is, a, there is a small minority, which I did see, that are great. Mm-hmm. That goes through business people, that goes through actresses, actors, all of them. Um, some of them are really great people. But there is a vast majority of them that will do, you know, these little public service announcements. You know, the more you know, be a great human being, and you're, jolly good, you know. You're seeing these ads and thinking inside, but wait a minute. I just saw you at that party, and then you said this and did that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh, That's great. That's got to tear you up or at least make you laugh out loud or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is that where you ended up? Uh, was I guess can I say one of your clients? You can say one, yeah. Glenn Beck. Yeah, you can say Glenn and that's, Beck. That's probably what got your career path here, huh? Yeah, we can disclose that one. Okay. <laughs> I I had heard through the grapevine in the company that he was uh, relocating from New York uh, to Texas, and I instantly was like, hey, I put my name in the hat nice. to be on that detail because I wanted to get back home, and that was awesome. Um, Glenn is one of the rare uh, human beings in the world that is exactly who's advertised you know, on air. So a lot of like celebrities, you would be like, they, they, they advertise this great person, but you find out separately behind the scenes. Glenn is amazing. Um, family is amazing. Glenn's amazing. Yeah. And I was like, man, I don't want it. I don't want to go any other, other place. This is just an awesome, awesome security detail. I wanted to stay, but it was funny. So I'd be with him in private 
and he'd be talking about certain things going on in the world that I was either there, you know, like studying some of these things like Libya or Iran oh, or whatever, wow. or Israel or whatever, that Syria. works out nice. So he'd be talking about it and I'm like, hey, yeah, that was interesting. You know, you had that guest said this, you know, I actually wrote uh, an intelligence report on that, you know, if you want a summary of it. Oh, wow. And I'd say, hey, here you go. And so, uh, so it's like, oh yeah, it was, it was great, you know, to, to add to his conversation. Sure. To where eventually, you know, it was like, he just wanted me to come on full board and just do that for him, you know, full time. So that's ended up, that's how it ended up happening. Yeah, because you made the full switch yeah. from protection to researcher, effectively, yeah. writer. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. So do you ever get any downtime? Uh, because I know that <laughs> in that role, I know that you are, and I've done it on a very, a much smaller level and not frequently. For Glenn in the 11 years that I've worked with him. You, however, live this. This is your job. And I know it's intense and it's all consuming for you. Do you ever get to just chill? <laughs> Not really. Are you, are, I mean, are you constantly <laughs> in a state of research and writing? Yeah, well, you know how radio is, Keith. There's a lot of the big news is going on during the weekend. You know what I mean? So I can't. I, I, mm-hmm. You try and disconnect, right. you know, but you're like, I will worry about this on Sunday. You can't. You can't. You can't wait because this world is just rapid fire. Yep. You are constantly prepping the next yep. show. Exactly. And if you wait till Sunday night, you know, you end up dr- on Saturday, you end up dreading the next day. I'm up here every weekend. <laughs> I am literally up here every weekend because there's so much happening. And you, I'm sorry. I wake up at 3 o'clock on Monday morning as it is. I'm not waking up at 1 o'clock Monday morning to catch up on everything. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I, the the, uh, the trick is to, in this job, I think, like, if I had to do this and be the head writer, chief researcher for Rachel Maddow, I would kill myself, probably. <laughs> you could not keep up with this schedule working for someone that you did not believe in. Right. And that, that you know, went against your own principles. Yeah. So that's how lucky I think we are is that, yes, it's demanding. The schedule's demanding. You're never disconnected. You're always on the job, pretty much. Yeah. You have to balance that with family life, obviously. Um, but it almost feels like, you know, you don't... At least you're doing something you for someone it. that you believe in. Yeah, right. exactly. I've got respect for the people that do work in those situations, though. Really? Because especially in like the writing uh, department, because writing for Glenn is very easy for me. It was hard in the beginning because when you write for somebody else, you have to know exactly how they think and how they believe and how they would say this. So, like for instance, if Glenn was like, "Hey, Jason, I want you to do a show on this. It's on this topic," I already know what he thinks about on that yeah. topic. So I could probably hear him rant just for like five minutes on exactly the points that he wants to make. Mm-hmm. And I can do an entire show in his voice exactly what he thinks. So when he reads it, and you'll notice, uh, I'll give you guys a little you know, insight into Glenn's, the way he does some of these things. <laughs> As you'll notice that, you know, just like anybody else, there's a teleprompter and he's reading off of it. But the vast majority of his words are his own. So like I have yeah. some things for him that he'll follow if he needs to, but those aren't the important things. When you notice Glenn's eyes look off to the side or whatever, watch the next time he's doing this. This is straight coming from him. It's ad lib. Yeah. So literally my job in writing for someone like Glenn is just to help him remember the points he wants to make. Yeah, so do so, you write just bullet points or do you write like a script or how does that work? I write a full-on script. And so if he, he wants just, to read it, he can. Right. But you'll know. But the, the scripts that I write should probably only be like four minutes in length. 
<laughs> five minutes in length. They turn out to they be end up being hour. thirty minutes yeah. in length because yeah, yeah it's 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 all glam. But I I, I the actually, unsung heroes of the building are the teleprompt operators. Yeah. In oh this my building. gosh, totally. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't know what to do here. I say that every day, dude. How did you keep up with that? It's insane. <laughs> Um, but I actually, it's actually a compliment to me because um, sometimes he said, hey, sorry, I didn't use some of that stuff. I'm like, nah, man, because mm-hmm. I know that I've done my job. If I have have helped rem- helped him to remember the things that he was really passionate about or inspired him to move on to the next point, you know, in certain transitions or uh-huh. whatever, I love that yeah. because the guy's a genius. There's no way you can write something to give any credit to how he's going to speak it. Mm-hmm. There's just no possible way. Right Now, you know. If I was writing for Don Lemon, he'd probably read every damn word I put out on the teleprompter because he is incapable of saying something for himself. Have you seen, I've seen a lot of people, because in this industry, people move on to organization to organization. Like, they'll be like, at the Blaze, they'll be, then they'll move off to NBC, or they'll move off to Fox, right. or we're CNN, whatever. We've had them go everywhere. Mm-hmm. But now they're doing, uh, like, they'll, ha- they'll have you fill out, like, a questionnaire, and it'll... Straight up ask you, you know, like, what political party did you vote for in the last election? Really? Or, you know, like, or if it's not that overt, they'll give you a, a list of issues and they'll ask for your personal opinion about them. Because they're trying to gauge mm-hmm. if you are a believer. Yeah. So, like, I would never go, unless I lied my butt off, mm-hmm. I would never be hired at MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no way. But now the sad thing is I probably wouldn't be uh, hired at any of the ones that are supposed to be, you know, uh, you know equal or balanced. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't get hired at CNN. There's no way. No. I would probably wouldn't get hired at NBC or any of those others. It's just, it wouldn't happen. No. All right. So you like to get outdoors, right? You like some, some outdoors stuff, which is fun in the summer in Texas, right? Oh, gosh. I wish. This is not the best place for it, for <laughs> sure. So, so dang hot. <laughs> yeah. I'm at odds. This puts me at odds with my wife because she's very much a city girl. Okay. She's uh Yeah. Where's she from originally? Uh, Los Angeles. Okay, well, so, that would make sense. Yeah, Los Angeles. Uh, she's like, I'm like, hey, babe, let's go to that nature trail. You know what I mean? And do a hike this afternoon. There's this, uh, to to add on to that. There's uh, in Fort Worth. There's this amazing hike that I still not have been able to get out. They actually have buffalo out there with you, ah, separated by a fence. But you know, what? yeah, it's right there in Fort Worth, a huge preserve. Anyway, we haven't wow. gone there mostly because my wife is like, eh, let's go to the mall instead. Grapevine Mills has a sale today. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that's that's the constant struggle. But I so some of these things I do. So with her, her idea of going things. on a walk is if there are stores walk that around I can, the mall. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, for right. sure. And you play video games. Is there, <laughs> is there one in particular that, that you're drawn to? Gosh, should I say? Or because I'll probably get ridiculed relentlessly. <laughs> I don't know. I just, well, it says shameless video gamer. I forgot <laughs> I put that on there. Yeah. Uh-oh. Okay. So I yes, I'm I'm a huge nerd. That's no surprise because all I, I like I love to read about foreign policy and politics yeah. and stuff. So I'm obviously a nerd. And I heard you took accounting courses in college. And I took accounting courses in college. <laughs> but not for that reason, Keith. Right, right, right. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big World of Warcraft player. Oh. I'm, I, I dig the World of Warcraft. Huh. I don't know why. Uh, I, there's like a... It's not... I thought you were going to say something along the lines of... Uh, Shooters, uh, some shooting game or something like war. I, I play those too. Okay. Um. So I play. Uh, so I would say if I if I sit down at my desk, I'm either playing World of Warcraft or I'm playing Battlefield or Call of Duty. Okay. Either one of those three. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, the World of Warcraft thing is just something like it's it's like a constant like progression. So you're constantly trying to like hmm. make yourself more powerful or whatever. So it never ends. It's kind of a guilty pleasure for guilty you. pleasure. Okay. Yeah. So it's something that's always like there's literally nothing to do. I'll log on to that and play hmm. Call of Duty or Battlefield. Just you play those games, I'm sure, don't you? I haven't turned on my PS whatever I'm on now. Three, really? two, three, three, three. 
Yeah, what are we up to on PS4? Four. Uh, four? Okay, so it's a three. We got. I I have a PS4. My I used to be. I used to play football games. Yeah. After work every day. Were you a tech mobile player back in oh, the day? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And there was also this game called MLB 2000, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so okay, me and my okay. friend, we would create these uh, these players and make a team. And every day, that was, hey, kids, stop listening for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was my summer, just sitting around playing MLB 2000. Uh, did, you, did you play uh, Baseball Stars, the old Super Nintendo? No, nah, I never had Super Nintendo. I was like a... I was a um, I was Nintendo, and then I was Sega Genesis. Oh, you were one of the you were one of the Sega kids. Yeah, I was a Sega. Kid. See, that was above my pay grade. Yeah. I only had sports games really growing up, you know. So I guess in the late '80s, you had like Legend of Zelda. Yeah, and I played that for about five minutes, and then I only owned sports games after that. See, and I my- was an NHLPA was my favorite game ever, the Sega Genesis hockey. I don't know if this is how it was where you grew up, but in Abilene, where I grew up, there was the Nintendo crew, like Click uh-huh. or Gang. Huh. And then there was the Sega gang. No. And you didn't cry. It was blood in, blood wow. out, baby. You, you did not cross those lines. Wow. Yeah. No, that was a town on, that needed a movie theater right on, there. On the playground, if the Sega kids were at the, on the swings, <laughs> we showed up, you best be moving your butt away. Wow. You better go to the slides. That's serious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you have a, a couple of uh, dogs there? Yeah, I love how you uh, are very distinct in your answer about pets in the email that I sent. <laughs> you got a Doberman and a Yorkie, and then he's quick to add, "That's my wife's dog." Yeah, I don't, I don't claim much ownership on that thing in public. I will say that it's kind of a cute dog. Sure. I, well, crap. I guess I said that in public. Yeah, but <laughs> no, <laughs> your only out. for your viewers, our <laughs> listeners, will I disclose that. So that's our secret. Okay, I won't, I won't go running around the building uh, and telling everyone that. Well, I'm with you, man. <laughs> Uh, first of all, I was a cat person, okay, <laughs> and then we uh, owned a dog, I don't know, seven years ago we got a dog, big, you know, medium-sized dog. Uh, then, uh, a few years ago, we got a little beagle chihuahua mix for my oldest daughter, and I, I tell you, I love that little dog. I, I mean, so I have now, I've come, I have been, you know, the character Jay, uh, I don't know, what's his name? He used to play Al Bundy, and he's on the show um, Modern Family. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he got uh, he got a little dog or whatever. I mean, that, that that's what I've become. <laughs> because he, I, I, you know, the stereotypical, like, I don't need a, t- I don't need a little dog, I'm tough, blah, blah. Uh, oh, that's, that's what I've become with Matilda. It's you said beagle chihuahua. Yeah, that's an interesting mix. Yeah, she looks like a loaf of bread with legs. <laughs> you know? So yeah, she's an interesting mix. All right. So I, I'm with you. I totally understand. There's no shame in this room. So you listen to wait my my playlist is kind of psycho. That's the kind of music. But uh, you say country is probably your favorite. Yeah, that's what I listen to the most probably. But I don't like I I go to the gym pretty much every day. I'm not mm. listening to country in the gym. I'm like listening to, if you can believe it, like rap music. Oh wow! I'll throw some Eminem on on you know straight <laughs> up. I don't know why, but that makes me work out. I have no idea why. Yeah, probably because you're trying to get out of there. Quickly. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're like I gotta get away from this music. <laughs> but so I listen to that sometimes. It just depends. Like it's it's kind of all over the place. But mm-hmm. if it's just me, just me, no, you know, there's no other agenda going on, like a workout or nothing else. I'm listening to country. Mm-hmm. Like Chris Stapleton. Tennessee whiskey was the last oh. song on repeat. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's your Have jam. You heard that? I haven't. Oh my gosh. I'm intrigued because it has the word whiskey in it. 
So, so I might want to listen to that one now. Straight up, yeah. I can, I can, I know that about you. That would, that would draw you in. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look right here. Look, 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 look at we keep in the drawer here. There you go. There's keeping. There we go. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, no. But that that song, when you listen to it, the first thing you say is, "No way, that's a white dude." Oh wow! No really? way. Yeah, you're like you. You get this picture in your head. You're like, "There's no way that's a white dude singing that." But you're like, "I did not know there was any black country singers that sound like that." I just can't think, can't think of one off the top of my head. And then you see who it is, and you're completely blown away. It's total like, "Don't judge a book by its cover." Yeah. This guy has got. He's like a very mm-hmm. soulful singer. It's like soul country, more than, more than anything else. I'll listen to it today. But he has these like runs, you know, like you know where they. You know, that's like the technical term, but when they just you know do one note and they carry it on for like ever, uh-huh. he does that and it's insane. Do that if you want to go on YouTube. Do like you know people react to Chris Stapleton when they see his face. Yeah, and they're like <laughs> they get that 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 stink face like what you know like how is this? He looks like a total hillbilly redneck redneck, and yeah, it's just amazing. He's amazing. Oh that's my gosh, cool. that's really cool. Uh, before I forget. This is the point in the podcast where I need to take a picture of you that will be used uh, later uh, as the thumbnail. So move that microphone out of the way, if you would, please. Let me, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to get up, aren't I? Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. Got some clutter behind you there. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Gorgeous. Okay. I didn't know whether to just do the plain smile or the ironic look or yep. the sarcastic look or. It was perfect. Whatever didn't it was. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is a talent that you have that is invaluable in the Lone Star State <laughs> of being able to fix uh, HVAC unit. And did you have a recent bout where you were uh, battling one? Is that what happened? Dude, I am a boss. Really? Straight boss at HVAC Systems Because I have epic battles with them. I don't win them. Every summer probably, right? Out here? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this started, this was several years ago. I had an issue like the, the condensation the pan cor- or oh, whatever oh. underneath the, the, the oh, unit up in the attic. Oh, I've got stories. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. So when I, I'm like, I was probably playing World of Warcraft. Yeah. And then I hear this dripping noise oh, no. and I was like, at first I didn't even pay attention to it, but then I was like, what is that? So I looked and I'm, this is my office is downstairs. All this water's coming through the ceiling. No. So I run upstairs and then all, it's just flooded up there and all this water's pouring out of, out of, it was actually coming through, I think the smoke detector. The water was. Yeah. Ran up into the attic, mm-hmm. and I noticed that there, I shut the air conditioner off. There was a, it was, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, corroded and rusted. And so all the water was just pouring through. Uh. Absolutely insane. So it, that was, that, that right there it was a ton of money to fix. But then I had someone, I actually called a, a HVAC company to fix that. And it cost like $2,000. <laughs> right. And I was like, never again am I going to pay a company to do what I probably should have, could have figured out myself. Oh no, oh no, because I'm afraid I know the answer. Well, it's a you know, it's trial and error with this stuff, as any wife knows. You know that where their husband's like, I'll take it. You know, I'll fix it. But uh, so I've gone through. There's been a lot of trial and errors, but like the when I really hit home, this was last summer. The blower motor on my HVAC went out, and that is almost like the kiss of death because that is so expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I called a guy out. This is this is how I do it now. I call them the people out that say we'll we'll do free estimates. They come out and they'll be like, yeah. So you know, this is the problem. This is what 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 we owe you. They're harder to find now because YouTube and everything. Oh yeah. But um, so I call them out. They tell me what it is. He told me some insane number. It was like, I, don't, I can't remember. It was like three thousand dollars to to replace this blower motor. <laughs> more than the the other thing, and the other thing was even more more damage. 
So I'm like, okay. So I looked at, so when he told me the model number of the, of the, of the motor, I looked it up um, on, on Google and I found the same one for like $150. There it is. Right. So I'm like, okay, thanks a lot, man. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to save some money. Yeah, I'm gonna get out this, uh, sweat it out for a while. Instantly, I just went on, you know, this company's website, yeah. website bought the motor. And then it, it, was, it was a pain in the butt to fix mm-hmm. um, because it was an older blower motor. But after that point and taking apart the entire deal, there's nothing I can't do except maybe get like Freon. Okay. I'll have to get because I, yeah, I think you have to license for that. Oh my goodness! But dude, so l- let me know if you have a problem with your HVAC. Okay, I'll fix that bad boy. I I, I will call you because <laughs> well, what happened was before I moved here, the family was already in. We had that same issue with the dripping through the ceiling. The pan had backed up, but the thing was is that the drainage pipe that leads out of the house had backed up as well. Yeah, and so the water had nowhere to go. It was a mess, and a guy taught me a trick. Pour the solution down. Pour the solution. It yeah. was bleach. Now they're saying vinegar, whatever. It keeps stuff from growing and backing up. But before I knew that trick, it happened to the other air conditioner. I'm sorry. In Texas, you have to have more than one air conditioning unit, you know, because one goes out. Yeah. And yeah. So it started, the other leak started happening above a row of books that I have on a shelf that date back to the 1800s. And so the ceiling above them was discolored. And I said... I know what's happening. And that's when I ran up in the attic and I was able to stop it before it actually came down and dripped oh and ruined these, these, these historic books. But speaking of air conditioners and cheap fixes, real quick here, I'm sorry this is getting off on uh, AC talk, but I'm trying <laughs> to help the people out, you know? <laughs> we have a uh, Honda Odyssey, uh, uh, an 07 Honda Odyssey, and the air conditioner is constantly going out on it. And of course, it's when it's hot and humid and stuff and it's miserable. Well, I saw on a message board, somebody mentioned, hey, this could cost between $800, $2,000, whatever. And I had been looking everywhere. And I thought before I give in and do this, I, I read through this message board to see if someone had a fix. Sure enough, $6 part. Yeah. $6 part that's a... Um, a resistor. A resistor. 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 Yeah. $6 for these, Jason. I thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose. Let me try this. I, I switched it out, boom, boom, AC. But it, it's gone out over and over again, like every six months for the last several years. But that's fine because I, I bought half a dozen of them. I keep them in the garage. I keep them in the glove compartment. And yeah. when that happens, I just pull over, plug it back in, and just keep on trucking. So there you go. We just saved you tons of money. I, I, I think I've had this, a similar issue on an older car, and that's what it was. It was a resistor. Yep. But like back in the day, think about like like when we were kids, even when we were in like – like high school, even like the first, you know, in college years, those issues you d- you could not fix unless yeah. you were an expert. Well, you yeah. could not fix because there was no information out there. There was no internet. No, there was no YouTube has replaced grandfatherly advice and and know how. And I thought you were going to say there was no air conditioning. And I grew up, <laughs> I, I grew up in Atlanta, and I did not have air conditioning uh, growing oh my up. Gosh. We had an attic fan. Wow. And you would you would turn on the attic fan and it would suck the air in from outside and cool down in quotes your house yeah but you could have a conversation because it was so loud was it a swamp cooler (laughs) something like that no no it's it's they they come in and they cut a hole in your ceiling put a huge fan with these little i don't know uh uh slits for lack of a better term and so when you would turn it on and the the little the little slits would open up and it would suck the air out of the house and then it would blow it back in through your open windows and that's an attic fan 
Crazy. And that's how... So it didn't really cool the house, but you're like, you know, there's a lot of noise going on up there, so it yeah. must be doing something. Yeah, it's so just, it's moving it's air. It's placebo. Yeah. I was like, it's, yeah, I think it's getting cool in it's here. It's just moving air. Yeah, my, ch- <laughs> my childhood home, we went from no air whatsoever to attic fan to finally central air. About the time I was uh, headed out. The college. That was fun. <laughs> Thanks. Uh-huh. Yeah. So <laughs> I am calling you. Though. You know, how, how, how the internet has done some insane stuff. It's got to be hard actually on, on plumbers and electricians. Yeah. And, like I, I just fixed my washer the other day wow. just off of YouTube. You know, you go into YouTube, you just put, uh, you. washer is like making a weird noise. It sounds like this. Yeah. And then there's literally a video about it. Yep. And they'll have links to the parts you need to, you need to uh, purchase for and it. And I usually fail at those repairs too, so I'll be calling <laughs> you for the washing machine. Yeah, I do that one yeah. too. Yeah. So I, I, one of these, one of the things I've noticed in doing this podcast is most people's earliest memories are traumatic. I really? see that you killed a duck when you were two oh years old. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah. What, what happened? <laughs> that's that's crazy. I cannot believe that. It literally is my first memory that I have. Remember I told you that we were out in, um, we went from Antlers to Ira Ann, Texas, okay, yeah. out in West Texas. And I must have been, I think, yeah, I think I was two years old. But it, it was traumatic because I remember having this, I had like this, uh, my uncle gave me this duck as like a pet. And uh, it was a cute little, you think, li- little yellow duck, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Baby duck. Uh-huh. And uh, I had this uh, toy mailbox that was wooden. And I have no idea why, but I uh, I put a leash <laughs> around oh, the baby duck. Jeez. And I put, I, for some reason, I just thought it would be a good idea to stuff the baby duck into the toy mailbox. And then I was like, well, I gotta ca- I gotta pull the leash to you know to carry the duck around, or to pull the duck that's inside the mailbox. Well, of course, oh, ended up no. strangling the duck inside. Did you have box. a name for this duck? I don't remember that. I'm sure I did, but I don't remember oh. that. But yeah, I remember. I remember looking at it, wondering what was wrong with it, and then looking up at my mom and dad and the horror on their face, and then the kind of the memory kind of blanks out yeah. after that. Oh but no! That was my first pet. Okay, well, ended tragically. Man, I'm sorry to. Who you know? Who would have thought that would not be a good idea though? To put a leash on the duck and to stuff it into the into the toy mailbox. It seemed like the right move at the time. Did it? <laughs> <laughs> Your mom has had the biggest impact on you. Yeah, oh, by far. Yeah, by far. That's good. Yeah, moms are awesome. She, uh, yeah, an amazing woman. T- took care of my father. You know, when he was getting lupus, uh, supported the family while he could not work and was in the hospital. B- first by being a janitor at. Uh, the same school that I ended up going to, oh, Evelyn wow. Christian University, being a janitor there, then moving up and then taking like a uh, a job in in the school bookstore there, and then becoming one of the higher ups in the bookstore, just wow. completely built herself up. That's cool. Now she's she's a superintendent, uh, assist assistant to a superintendent at a school district. Uh-huh. Um, but she so she's literally one of those. I'll just do this, and then I'll eventually climb the ranks and be one of the best at my job. How great! That right there. Plus, we were just like a team, like I yeah, said, I bet. trying to get through all of that. Yeah. And then she's always just been so supportive, that's always. So, that's she, so great. She's an over-worrier, which hmm. if she's listening to this, she'll laugh at. Isn't that the job of moms? That's the job of moms. <laughs> yeah. 
But I'm sure that I've driven her absolutely insane. What, you? With, yeah, yeah. No, what? <laughs> yeah. No. You can think, like, some of the things that I wanted to get into, some of the things I've gotten myself into recently. <laughs> oh, no. And she's, uh... Oh, yeah, that's right. We didn't this. even we didn't even hit up on the uh, traveling back to the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you want to tell us about uh, your uh, visiting with the Kurds? That's, yeah, that's, I think some people maybe that listen to this uh, have might have heard the, some of the explanation on that. That insane so i've been back to the middle east couple two three times and uh the most recent was that the most recent was when i ended up kind of everything going off the rails we first went back i went off with a buddy of mine while we were working here for blaze um to go cover isis in uh iraq and that was like right at the pinnacle when they just take right. a Mosul and everything was going crazy so we went out there uh got shot at a little bit got some good footage got some great stories Got shot uh, out a little bit, you know. <laughs> it's you got it's you got to have that every once in a while, uh, you know, just to get the feel. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we did that, and then I went most recently back to Iraq to kind of check up on everything that had been going on, mm. and that was right when the when Mosul was being retaken and ISIS was getting kicked out, and I have a couple buddies over there uh, that could get me in to Mosul and get me into the, into all the action. But <laughs> we ended up going to one of the frontline positions that the Kurds, the Peshmerga there, their military, was holding off. And uh, they were actively engaged with ISIS at the time. And I'm not a journalist. I'm not. I'm a writer. I'm a researcher. I was there at the time in a research capacity. I'm not a journalist. Just want to make that clear <laughs> up front. Um, so they in the combat of this were you know offered up do you want to uh you want to join in you know well they knew i was a marine and if you get the opportunity to shoot a terrorist right i mean you're not not gonna take that opportunity mm -hmm. so i did and uh did the ridiculously stupid thing of tweeting a picture of myself engaging in this mm. and uh it's interesting I, it didn't even it didn't even dawn on me at the time that that was not a good look and uh, I, uh, I remember I went to bed that night feeling awesome about myself, you know? <laughs> oh, no. Get a call uh, that night from, from my boss, uh, and she uh, was like, what is going on? You know, where are you at? What happened? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I had heard that there was already, like, news write-ups about this. I'm like, I, I just tweeted this. What are you talking about? So, yeah, straight up, I, I logged into social media. It was all it was all over the place. I had, like, I, there, there were news outlets all over, like, reaching out to me over social media to get me to comment on it. I'm t I won't name who, who but let's, this is the top news outlets uh -huh. are trying to get comment on it. The story was everywhere. And right now, if you Google the story, you're going to find it. Uh huh. Uh, that was very dark, dark times. I uh, I basically could not finish what I was doing. I had to stop doing what I was doing. Uh, I was basically just kind of hid out in this Iraqi hotel because I did not want to be talked to by journalists. I didn't want to discuss this with anybody. And uh, they, so looking back on that, that, that was it was stupid, right? When, once you're out of the military. And you take a, a position that is a more of a commentary position or a research position. You've kind of left those days behind. You are no longer an active, you know, person. You're, you're not active in the situation. Right. You're observing the the thing. Again, I was not a journalist, which everyone was claiming I was a journalist. I am not. Uh, the, the the biggest critique on it was that I was making it dangerous for journalists that are in combat zones. Mm. I, I and I definitely see that position. 
ISIS, in my opinion, was not your typical army. Right. They weren't a legitimate army. Sure. Uh, they do not recognize the laws of war. Mm-hmm. They don't recognize any of the laws. So uh, that would be a difference in engaging in you know in combat against ISIS. It's a terrorist organization. They're gonna shoot a. They're gonna shoot a medic. They're gonna shoot a journalist. They're gonna shoot anybody out there just because they sure don't like you. So a little bit different there. Yeah. But I tell you what, it's it's it was definitely a learning experience. It was something that <laughs> I've <laughs> I've taken with me. And you know, you always say I'm definitely never doing that again. I'm definitely never doing that again. Yeah. That's like. Would you even go back? To the Middle East? Oh, absolutely. Just yeah. not with a gun. With, just not with a gun. <laughs> it's funny. I've been with other. Uh, I've I've done kind of similar. Like uh, I've gone out with uh, other organizations to show them doing stuff in action, um, and like dangerous locales. Mm-hmm. I'll be very vague with that. <laughs> um, and the temptation was always, you know, how involved do I want to get into it? Because you want to get more involved because you believe in the organization, and then that this Iraq thing pops back into my mind and I'm like, you're no longer an active participant. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Right. You are there to show them doing what they're doing and to make sure that other people know because these people are awesome. Is that as close as you've ever gotten to a regret? Yeah. I don't, I don't really regret anything. I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty much my philosophy. Yeah. So that would be the closest thing for sure. I don't regret it though because I took a lot from it. Hmm. You know, I, I like I said, I, I learned a lot about the transition of my career. What you, what you what you do now, you know, where you've gotten to. You were this kid looking to be a CIA agent. You then became, you know, in the military, actively involved in a war right after one of the worst calamities of our time. You've did that. You did those things. Mm-hmm. You're no longer part of that anymore. That's for a different generation. Uh, your job is now to, you know. Make sure that people understand, uh, you know, about certain situations all over the world like that. Not to show people that, you know, you've in, engaged in that. Okay. So it, it, it was horrible at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And then when you start to realize their side of the, their point of view, and then when you start jiving that with your point of view, and then it, it, it was not good. But um, I don't regret that it happened because mm-hmm. there was a lot of growth. And that's understandable. And you also, you don't embarrass easily. Not at all. So are there any moments in your life then where you can think of being embarrassed or is that just something that just doesn't happen for you? Doesn't really happen for me. Okay. I don't think so. That's cool. Yeah. That that sounds kind of stupid to say, but I cannot think of a time when I've ever been embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Unless, Unless I just didn't... Unless I didn't know something and I was embarrassed, if you want to call it that, that I... In the moment or something. Yeah, or maybe more disappointed that I didn't... Yeah. Didn't read up on something. Like, I tell you, you get that a lot when you're, I do some guest ho- guest appearances on some shows here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people, uh, we'll get into like debate on the show. And sometimes they'll say something that I never thought about or I won't have an answer for. And it, you just kind of kick yourself for like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I did. There was one person, again, who I won't name, that I really wanted to call out because I don't believe that person is a true conservative. Ooh. And uh, this person said something, and I was so taken back that they said it and kind of revealed themselves. In front of you on the sh- on, a on show? Air. Okay. On air. Wow. And I was like, this is your opportunity? Go. And I didn't do it. Oh. And uh, to this day, 
Okay, fine. I'm embarrassed of myself that yeah. I did not do it. Or you regret not. I regret it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because actually, did, I, yeah. Because I. Did I, you I, talk to this person in private about that or let it go? I did not let it go oh, because. Oh. Hmm. I don't know how much I could say. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. <laughs> well, yeah, because no, I, it's an, and that's another interesting conversation because in the, in this media landscape, right? When it's so hostile mm -hmm. to anyone that's not very liberal. You have to, even if you're, if you don't agree ideologically with them perfectly, mm -hmm. you need people on your side. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. On, on one case, you say, I don't want to align myself with anyone that's not ideologically perfectly in step, mm -hmm. but I guess the, the more I get into this, the more I see it. That's kind of true. And it's kind of not, kind of not true. You need more allies, mm -hmm. even if, and I, but I think you need more allies and people on your side, but you need to be quick to say, look, we don't fully agree with each other, but we're definitely not these other people on the other side. So yeah. let's let's come together on the things we do agree with sure. and then move on from there. I totally understand. You had mentioned uh, how your social media blew up when, when you took that shot at ISIS and stuff. And so I just, I went to your Twitter account, uh, <laughs> which is at uh, Jason Buttrell, yeah. which is uh, J-A-S-O-N. B u t t r i l l. If you want to follow him on Twitter, is that are you anywhere else, or is it just Twitter for you as well? I've got like an Instagram, but I don't use it. Yeah. So sure. Twitter, basically. Okay. Huh? So what I did is when I went to your uh, profile page, uh, there's a IMDb link. Oh yes. And I thought, whoa, what is this here? So I just clicked it here, and uh, there he is as a writer and a producer for. I guess the movie Six Days in Iraq. Yeah. Well, well, tell me about that. That's one of the things I'm most proud of. That's cool. That was my a buddy of mine and a buddy of yours, uh, Dan Andros, went to um, uh, Iraq back in, what, 2015. And that was the most life-changing experience I've had in a while. I have not seen in a this. While. Did you not? I was not familiar with this. I'll shoot you a copy. Please. So we, uh, so we, went, we went to the front lines, uh, ISIS front lines. I got Dan shot at. <laughs> um, made fun of him like the little girl he was, and he okay. was like ducking down. Yeah, well, he wasn't the one uh, dodging the rest <laughs> of the world afterward, though. <laughs> yeah, um, he wasn't on that trip. Yeah, oh, that was oh, okay. a different trip. But this was the uh, the very first one, original one. Okay. But um, we, dude, we uh, we went and talked to the people straight up that had either escaped ISIS or had, mm. you know you know fought against them. We went to uh, an Assyrian Christian church. And many of this, and this was in northern Iraq. It was in Erbil, which was a big city. This was kind of like their refuge where they had to flee from because they had to flee all their villages because ISIS went and took them over. Yeah. And um, we went uh, to their church, and it was kind of like in a refuge. It was a privately ran refugee camp, which if you go to a UN refugee camp and there's nothing and God is not present, it's an absolute hellhole. Mm. It is the worst. The conditions are bad. People live like animals. It's awful. If you go to a privately run refugee camp, and especially in this area, this is what I noticed, um, but it could be all over the world, but the ones I saw in Northern Iraq, the privately ran uh, refugee camps that were run by churches are amazing. Mm. Kids are happy. People are happy. Yeah. The places where they live are kept up, and not only that, the people are encouraged to build onto them and improve them. It is an amazing contrast when God is involved. Mm. Amazing contrast. But dude... When I sat in that uh, church, we sat in a church service just to go through their church service with them. We don't, and I'm not Catholic. We didn't really understand what was going on. Um, and sometimes they even shift into their ancient uh, Assyrian language. Oh, wow. For some of, or not, 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 not Assyrian. They're, uh, what is it? The, uh, 
Aramaic. Yep. Ancient Aramaic in it. And it was like, so it, it was very, it was foreign, but I've never felt the Holy Spirit stronger nice. than right there, which sounds weird to say, but every single person literally was, was paying attention to the priest and what he was saying literally as if it was life and death because it was for them. It was. Yeah. And not only that, but the kids that you see, I, I go to a, a, a big non-denominational church now. And it utterly pisses me off when I see kids breaking out their phones and, and looking at their phones while the service is going on. You would not find that anywhere. They weren't even, even the little kids, like toddlers, that you would normally see, the only way you can get their attention is by giving them Cheerios to snack on. Even the co- toddlers are paying attention. Mm. Because you knew, you looked in their faces, they had literally, they, they had just been crying and they were dragged out of their homes. And now this was their refuge. They knew something horrible happened, but they knew they were safe there. Not even sure if they understood it, but you could tell that God was with them. Wow. I can't imagine the, I can't, it's hard to describe mm. it, but I'll, I don't know if I'll ever feel that again. Mm. It, 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 it was amazing. But that's all in the movie. Okay. So uh, six days in Iraq. I'm looking forward to this documentary. Yeah. Here it is. Two men frustrated by the atrocities committed by ISIS decide to travel to Iraq in search of answers. They grow to love and admire the people of Kurdistan who are on the front lines of this terrible conflict. The Kurdish people there in northern Iraq are amazing. It's uh, one of the, something you, you learn. It's, 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 it's kind of cool, but you've heard about people that say, you know, my home is your home when you show up. That's literally in their culture. So if you show up and you go into a house or we would, we would go to places and people would invite them into, us into their homes because they're, they're just distraught that no one has invited you in for dinner. You're a complete stranger. Yeah. But you're a foreigner from America, an outside country, and they want to make sure that you're safe and that you're taken care of. It's amazing. That's, they sound incredible. Another thing that's incredible that you did was the Ebola trip. Oh, yeah. I got to hear something about that before we cut loose here. What, tell me, because you did something with Ebola there, right, that, that wasn't quite, quite so smart? I, uh, <laughs> that's usually like evergreen for me everywhere I go. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the specific thing that you're you alluding to, to. I remember interacting with you after you came back from that trip and you weren't supposed to be up here or something. I only found out afterward that, yeah, because we wrapped your, I didn't do it, but they wrapped your, your cubicle in tarp or plastic yeah. because you had done something silly with a vial of Ebola or something <laughs> or walked into a room where Ebola had been on the loose. What was the story there? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to be very vague with this. Uh-oh. So, um, but your eyes never bled, correct? Yeah, right. <laughs> your insides still intact. They're, they're good. Yeah, I'm not liquefied. <laughs> so we... Uh, so yeah, we went over to... Uh, to th- there was a group there that had been responsible for doing a lot of the care for... And I'll speak in very general terms here. <laughs> for a lot of the care for the the, out- the Ebola outbreak. And it was amazing. So we went over there. And, 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 and Ebola hadn't been eradicated for too long when we went. Yeah. So even when we showed up, there were still signs everywhere for beware of Ebola. There's like symptom signs so like you might have Ebola seek shelter immediately or a care immediately mm-hmm. you still had to wash your hands with their like bleach solution every time you entered and exited any building okay so there was the pucker factor was still kind of high <laughs> there and uh it was funny I remember we were driving around after touring some of these sites and I had there was the most ridiculous headache and that's one of the first symptoms oh no and I was like dude and somebody that was with me was like oh my gosh man and I was like yeah it's like I never get headaches I don't know what's going on and then I guess I was so into the story, I didn't realize that. So we're in Liberia. It's like, it feels like about 175 degrees. 
humid as all get out and I hadn't drank any water the entire day. So I started to just like pound in water and eventually the headache went away. But it was that. So I just, I just tell you it that story. It was a perfect setup. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how you felt. Like you felt like you were on the urge. Of, you felt like another, you know, flare up could happen anytime. Mm-hmm. Well, we went to this one facility and uh, they had tons of, they cared for tons of Ebola patients there. Hundreds. And um, they showed like certain locations where, you know, they, they you know, bodies had been, you know, piled mm. up, you know, yeah. waiting to, to, I guess, take off to be burned or, you know, buried. And um, they, uh, we got to walk through some of the wards where they had cared for them. Mm-hmm. Well, we walked through one and I remember the, the main group walked off and I had a cameraman with me and I looked over to this other one and I was like, that one looks like it's in a, you know, it's a little, it's kind of in a little more disrepair than the other ones. And uh, I was like, why didn't we get to go through that one? Oh, and he was like, I don't know. It was like, uh, yeah, you want to go check it out? And I was like, yeah, do it. So he walked over there, and he and this cameraman was known, and he just asked one of the local Liberian guys, like, hey, can you open up the door for us? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we walked in, and that one hadn't been cleaned, didn't oh. look like, since before. I think it had been like... It had been sterilized yeah. because there there was like this uh, sterilization stuff all over the place, mm-hmm. um, but there was still like there was still surgical masks like strung out all over the floor. Dude, there was like syringes that were like and on the ground. Of course, you had to like touch them and lick them and stuff. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I, it's like shooting ISIS. You're not not gonna do that, you know. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know that's, that's a good point. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, he shoots at ISIS. He walks into Ebola hot zones that haven't been properly cleaned. <laughs> Do you have life insurance for Estella and the kids? <laughs> right. Just I mean, what? yeah, probably not enough. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that, that was crazy though because yeah, they still had there were still charts up of uh, like where they would write symptoms down for the different patients who were in there. <laughs> check, check, right? Check. Yeah. Oh. It was it, it was. Yeah. It's like fourteen days before you're out of the woods, right, or something like that. Before you find uh, before yeah, before you're, you're like okay, I don't think I have the Ebola. I don't remember what the incubation. I think it was, was because I remember you coming. I. I all I remember is specifically you and I talking about the Dallas Stars for just <laughs> a second one day, and then me going, "Wait a minute, you're still in that. Why is he up here right now?" <laughs> so anyhow, I, whatever. You you hope to last question. At some point in your life, own a business. What kind of business are you thinking about? You'd like to own? So probably like a uh, I, man. I started this off wanting to do like a. Like I said, when I was in high school, like I wanted to just take a camera off into okay, Kosovo yeah. or something like that, mm. or you know, mo- most recently just go off and you know, embed with a, you know, like a Peshmerga unit or whatever. You want to go to another hot zone, don't you? I do, but I but I want to tailor it in a different way. So uh-huh. yeah, if one of these days, mark my words, I'm gonna do it. I want to I want to show I want to I want to have a company that tells the stories very specifically of Christian groups that are out in the world mm. because there's this narrative that Christians are these people that judge others. They don't do anything. They just sit back on their high horses and tell other people why they're so bad. Mm. There's never a uh, churches don't brag on themselves. The organizations, the NGOs that are Christian NGOs, they don't brag on themselves. They do work and they provide video footage to show that they are, you know, for people that give them money to them, that they are doing, it's like proof of, proof of what, where your money's going, mm-hmm. but they don't advertise themselves. So I would love to be like a news organization that does that for them, that shows that Christians are active in the world. Um, they're the ones mostly that are taking care of pandemics, potential Ebola pandemics out in Liberia. Um, they're the ones that are front lines. They're the ones that are out there not complaining that the UN's not doing something they're actually out there providing food 
you know, and, and comfort out there. To do that, you've got to go to, I, there was this one story that uh, Eastern Ukraine, active war zone, you know, right now. Yeah. But there's this uh, crazy story that no one's heard of about a, a group of churches that have gotten together as the police and the emergency for, uh, uh, systems have all taken, uh, you know, ran off to the West. They've taken upon it themselves to make sure that food is still going to some of these remote uh, places. Oh, those are stories that need to get out. Right. You don't hear about them. That's the type of stories that I want people to know about. And um, I think that it's even a added, you know, uh, added impact when you show the danger that they're putting themselves in. You got to go to it to show that. Show it. One of these days. One of these days. Okay. That's what I want. Good luck. All right. Well, Jason Buttrell, thanks for making time for us here on At The Mic. He's on Twitter, at Jason, B-U-T-T-R-I-L-L. Follow him. He's got some great stuff up there. Um, this is going to date the podcast, but, uh, boy, you you tweeting out the South Korean push for French onion cereal recently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? The world makes no sense. I man. know, right? <laughs> Anyhow, Jason, thank you so much for making time. It's Thanks, great man. to have you, man. That's fun. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect. 